welcome to the Decoding Sustainable Finance podcast brought to you by Arabesque. My name is Ulrika Hasselien. I'm a partner and I head up our business in the Nordics. And in case you don't know us, Arabesque is a sustainability fintech company. We're built on the two disruptors of modern finance, ESG and AI, to deliver sustainable intelligence for corporates and capital markets. We believe economic value creation can and should be combined with environmental stewardship, social inclusion and good governance. Through our AI technology, we can assess vast, complex data sets to identify patterns to support better investment decision making. Arabesque is also a house full of brilliant minds. And throughout this podcast series, we will try to decode sustainable finance and explain what it really means. Now, artificial intelligence might be one of the biggest disruptors in finance in the past decades, with finance professionals having high hopes for the technology. I read a recent article from MIT Sloan Management, where they discussed trends in data analytics and artificial intelligence that can help orient data leaders in a shift in landscape today and beyond. One of the points made was that the gap is widening between data leaders and data laggers. From external data to customer experience analytics, this is what leaders are focusing on. A question to think about is how we find balance and focus between man and machine, or maybe between AI, as in artificial intelligence, and AI, as in authentic intelligence. To understand more about this shift in landscape and how data analytics and AI can be understood and used in finance, I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague, Dr. Yasin Rosowski, who is CEO of Arabesque AI. Welcome, Yasin. Thank you, Ulrika. Thank you for having me. Great. And before I ask you, Yasin, to share a bit about yourself, can you please, in just one sentence, tell me what is AI? That's a great leading question. Um, AI is the demonstration of intelligence, but not through humans or animals, natural intelligence, but through machines. So it's the ability of machines to replicate something akin to what we consider intelligence, the ability to look ahead, to problem solve, to take in the environment um, and make decisions. Great. We're going to dig deeper into that, but I'm actually curious to hear a little bit about you. Tell me a little bit about your academic background. What did you study and, and how did you get into the field and the world of AI? It started, so I did my um, undergraduate master's. I did an M engine, mechanical engineering at UCL. Um, spent four years there and then I ended up following on that with a master's in research in financial computing and a PhD in machine learning. Um, applied to financial forecasting, also at UCL. So I was actually at UCL for like eight years, um, pretty much in the same building. Um, and what got me interested actually into um, artificial intelligence, well, more specifically actually, what I was interested in, it was the markets and being able to make uh, decisions, trading decisions, uh, forecasting in the markets. I was um, looking at laws from thermodynamics and from fluid mechanics in terms of how I could model financial markets just like you do in engineering um, and came across a paper which was actually using neural networks to model uh, heat flows within refrigerators and so 
the concept there was that you didn't need to describe an equation. You didn't need to describe an analytic formula to map the inputs to the outputs, i.e. the data to the predictions to the decisions. You could essentially replicate that function through the use of neural networks. And that is really what got me into artificial intelligence and specifically the domain of applying it to financial forecasting was that you could essentially build models which would learn the mapping from what's ever happening in the financial markets today to an output of what's going to happen in the future and neural networks and machine learning generally uh, was a way to basically approximate that functional mapping between the inputs and the outputs. Great. How, how has this field of computer science, machine learning, neural networks, how has this developed since you finished your academic journey? It's developed significantly, especially in neural networks. Uh, neural networks, artificial neural networks, they're actually a class of the algorithms from the 70s and the 80s. They were very big in the 80s. And there were cases uh, in the early 90s of these being applied in financial forecasting. Uh, but then it died away to more statistical-based machine learning algorithms, um, stuff like support vector machines is what I published some papers on, and didn't really come back until the late 2000s um, and then big, and then some big breakthroughs in, in 2010, 11, 12, 13 with the concept of deep learning. And basically the what happened there was that this class of algorithms, which became a bit kind of redundant um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, got a massive boost and made massive breakthroughs when we had much more increased computational power, coupled with a lot larger amount of data. And then the modification to these algorithms, which became a lot more deep, able to count, capture a lot more complexity, really made massive breakthroughs in machine vision. You see driverless cars now. A lot of that is based on deep learning algorithms. You have Google's DeepMind, which was bought, I think, 2014. That did a lot of breakthroughs in the in, in the world of deep learning and AI applied to um, solving problems, specifically in their case, computer games. So yeah, we've seen in the last five to 10 years, a massive breakthrough in machine learning into real world applications, or at least the early stages of real world applications through the use of deep learning, which on the back of it was powered by computational power data, and obviously some algorithmic breakthroughs in that area as well. Great. I mean, using AI today in finance, in investment, how is it actually applied? I think we have to first dissect AI and machine learning a little bit. AI can be broken down into something between what you can consider general artificial intelligence and um, or strong AI and weak AI. Strong AI and AI is what the uh, layman thinking of artificial intelligence from the movies, the films, from Hollywood, Terminator, etc., we're nowhere near there at the moment. Some companies work towards that goal. Other companies are only interested in solving very specific domain problems, which leads you back to weak AI, which is what everyone's doing. And that's the ability to essentially use masses, not necessarily always massive amount of data with computational power, statistical based machine learning algorithms to solve very specific domain problems. So for in our example, it's forecasting where we think of uh, stock market returns for a given equity is going to be in the next month's time. And pretty much everyone falls into that field. For example, uh, you know, our systems can't decide today, you know, Yassid, I'm bored of uh, looking at financial markets. I want to, you know, play golf, take a holiday. <laughs> They're very, very uh, specific. And then how you apply machine learning then in these different types of machine learning algorithms really depends on what you're kind of looking at. Um, within the space. Uh, so for example, we have quite a complex system 
which on itself, just to train our models, requires around 20,000 plus cores running for 24 hours. Um, so we use many different machine learning algorithms all connected into this massive architectural machine learning tech stack with many different layers in terms of how you deal with the data, how you find representations of the data using unsupervised learning techniques. And then you have a whole uh, array of supervised learning algorithms to do forecasting and how you aggregate that and how that feeds into portfolio construction, really delivering the end client their optimal portfolio. But sometimes you have problems which are a lot more, much simpler than trying to understand behavioral economics and stuff like that, uh, where you just need to use stuff like a simple learning algorithm off the shelf, like a random forest, decision tree based algorithms. And a lot of these you can actually just source now from the main cloud providers uh, directly and then plug them directly into your system. So managed uh, machine learning services. So it really depends on the complexity of the problem. It depends on how much you want to trade off complexity with explainability. The more complex the model, the less explainable you have. And it, you know, it demonstrates, you know, again, like I was saying, it depends on your use case. So Yasin, what benefits do you see of utilizing AI over human portfolio mm -hmm. managers? There's two ways that you can essentially use AI. Um, as a portfolio, I mean, there's many ways, I guess, but two predominant use cases. One is to supplement your investment research input. So um, the output you're getting from your investment research analyst team or from other providers, you can supplement that from signals generated by artificial intelligence systems, which can capture more maybe complex dynamics or process large amounts of data. Um, etc try and find hidden correlations um, and then you can use that in your investment decision making process the way that we go about that is that we try and systemize the whole process of how you make a, an investment decision so we, we're essentially like you know the quantitative process uh, mirroring the quantitative process but using artificial and machine learning algorithms um, instead of the traditional kind of factor approaches etc and there the portfolio manager can then utilize that to concentrate more on and the ability to manage maybe potentially a lot more products, offer customization to their clients. This allows the portfolio manager to scale a lot more because essentially they don't need to essentially dedicate their whole time to a single investment strategy and the research process around that. They can essentially deploy their arsenal, maybe 10, 20, 30 plus um, investment strategies. So it allows them to offer to their clients and to their internal business use cases a much uh, power or run a much larger, more diverse portfolio of products. And that's basically what we're targeting. So, so how common is it to use AI in, in finance and investment today? And, and how can it actually be utilized for sustainable investments? AI and the application uh, of AI in terms of the investment process is, is still very much in its infancy. And it's usually very much down the value chain of the research process. In terms of AI taking over the basically vast majority of the research process, this is definitely in its infancy. There's a couple of companies out now trying to offer this um, either as support services or as directly uh, systemizing the whole investment research process. And then there's obviously always a few hedge fund type businesses out there which are are kind of leaders in this space, but they're very much single, single fund, single product uh, focused. So yeah, I would say it's very early days. The challenges with artificial intelligence and the application is uh, one around uh, the fact that it's new. The second is around explainability. This is one of the key things, the barriers to kind of understanding and the ability to try and explain and then understanding the more complex your system 
and you make it complex because the markets are extremely complex, but you suffer then from the ability to actually go down and drill down into why did this system buy this specific stock on this specific day. Um, though we do a lot of research and the industry is doing a lot of research, a lot of investment into explainability, not just in the finance space, but this applies to all the different domains. But in terms of its definition, sometimes AI can actually sound simple, but I know that the application in finance and also elsewhere is complex. And and very often we get stuck in the complexities and the difficulties with AI. But how how do you see it actually helping it and making it more easy for investors using AI? I think there's several uh, things that need to happen, and um, which are happening as well. Um, one is that you have the early movers. So we need to see demonstratively success in this space um, of the application of, of AI in the investment process. Outside of uh, just a couple of niche areas, like I mentioned before, around hedge funds and stuff like that. There's a massive investment in the industry, in the, in the field, in terms of explainability. We've made some good progress there as well in terms of trying to approximate and understanding a rationale why decisions are being made. The more this comes to fruition, the more this is being able to communicate it to, to the clients, I think the adoption um, and understanding of AI will increase. And then generally, more broadly in society, we already see it now. Lots of aspects of our lives on a micro level from a tech perspective are being managed or coordinated or supported uh, through the use of artificial intelligence. Often, usually quite um, simple machine learning algorithms built on top of very complex, uh, sophisticated, large uh, data architectures. And so as we see and we see that we are trusting more of our everyday life aspects and it's, it's been a success as well, I think the adoption in, in, in the finance investment process will also definitely come. It offers massive kind of customization options, massive scale and massive costs savings as well. And it allows you to basically systemize the decision-making process such that it can be replicated as well, which is really important because if you compare like a traditional decision-making process for a traditional fundamental type investment product, you can't replicate that. This is the old um, argument of quantitative investment process, but I think this will become more truer and truer, especially as we see success in this space as well, which we'll, we will inevitably see. Mm. But I, I want to get into some of the risks that you may associate with this technology. There was a, a recommendation published uh, this summer by the OECD for policymakers on AI regulation in financial services. And, and this report aims to help policymakers identify opportunities and risks arising from the use of AI. What are the risks uh, that you see are associated with the technology? You have the classic risks, uh, the, the Hollywood risks, the AI taking over and <laughs> taking over the world, Asimov's, etc. But um, I don't think we're anywhere close to that, uh, though there are very serious considerations of how we're going to address this in the future. So frameworks are being built, etc. So the actual real risks um, in broader society, you have a lot of risks around bias. So you sometimes get artificial intelligence algorithms replicating human biases. If they're learning from human data, you see this classic with 
uh, one of the big tech companies. The Twitter feed was basically managed by an AI system, which within 24 hours became very racist. So you have to be careful with biases. I've just won a, a massive grant to basically work on this topic, uh, but more from a financial uh, finance perspective. And so as decisions have been made in wider society around AI, biases is, I think, one of the big risks. The other, the other one is a lack of quality controls. So as more decisions have been made, if something goes wrong, um, especially at the scale, so if it goes wrong, it can quickly scale. Um, so safeguards around that. In terms of finance, you have um, issues, depends what you're talking about in the value chain. So you obviously you have a lot of these risks on the execution side if you're using AI to actually trade in the markets. You can get stuff like flash crash or massive crowd uh, crowd mentality but um, and herding mentality but not through but in a very lightning speed fashion because these are robots basically all following each other causing some kind of flash crash or something like that in the investment process the risks are much more to do with the quality of the algorithms and the research process around so basically the number one risk from a client perspective, in my opinion, is around overfitting. Essentially, the engineers and the researchers have essentially trained something which eventually they got something which looks work, looks like it works well historically. And this is where the issue is around limited historical data. It does not actually uh, follow through when you actually start testing and actually applying this uh, in a live mode. This is a very common pattern. Um, so we put on a lot of safeguards and risks and checks against uh, the concept of overfitting, least or not all, least or um, of all um, around the fact that we're testing our system on such a massive scale. So we, we essentially predicting 25,000 companies emerging and developed, and we're testing our system on strategies from Latin America to Asia Pacific and global and single country names, et cetera. Etc. We had a client asking for an Indonesian strategy. So that's a, basically a test against the kind of generalization of our system versus a very narrow um, focus on a single product, which then can lead to overfitting and then basically promised or expected returns from a strategy the client's expecting isn't delivered through. I think overfitting is one of the biggest risks in, in, in the application, in the investment process, that is. Right. And and do you would you say that there is... <laughs> Is it, do you see room for specific improvements uh, in the field of AI, in, in particularly in the finance space? Yeah, there's, um, I would say that AI in general, um, and then even more so for finance, is still at the very early stages, in my opinion. Yeah. So there's a whole uh, wealth roadmap of improvements over the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years. In finance specifically, um, one of the big problems is um, the ability not to have what I'd call infinite training data or synthetically generated training data. So some of the big breakthroughs in AI in other spaces of the ability, say, for example, DeepMind with um, AlphaGo, the ability of them to have basically two AI systems training against, playing against each other and learning off each other. You scale the computational resources and you quickly get to this massive, rapid evolution of kind of learning. We can't have the same kind of thing in the finance, so we're only limited to the last 20 years and it goes back to the overfitting. But um, any breakthroughs in, in there, being able to train and something, a research area that we look at, uh, train on data, which isn't necessarily the standard typical financial data, is a big area of breakthrough. Um, knowledge graphs and the application of learning of 
on top of graph structures as opposed to traditional matrix structures is I think a big area is one where we run a big grant for as well in that research area. So graph-based deep learning algorithms. And another area is obviously uh, very focused on the client in terms of explainability, being able to explain. This is a big research area. Mm. Um, we've made some strategic decisions on the type of algorithm we go down, not because they're still in the very high complex space. There's a lot of research going on to those types of algorithms based on explainability, which we can leverage. So that's very fundamentally important. I think one thing, last thing I'd say on this is that you have this concept of big data. Um, a lot of historically, the big breakthroughs in machine learning and stuff like that has been on the ability to learn from big data. I think a, uh, a thing that going forward and another thing that we make strategic research decision on is around learning from small data. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between small data and big data? It's, it's exactly that. You're trying to... So as a human, as a baby or a child, I have a, a four-year-old and one-year-old, so I'm always observing how they develop in the context of, of, of learning and, uh, from my work here is that they don't need to essentially, you know, burn themselves on the stove 5,000 times before they learn that, you know, not to touch the stove because it's hot. Mm. They don't even need to do it necessarily once. They can infer stuff from their environment and their experiences to actually realize and learn something. And it's the same thing in the financial context in the markets. If you look at, say, star fundamental traders, etc., they're not sitting there and processing uh, millions of data points every second. And it's the same analogy here. Can we use a lot smaller data, but much more richer, much more contextual, or bring context to the data much more? And can we uh, learn from a much smaller amount of data? And that's, I think, um, will be some big breakthroughs in, 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 in the progress or the direction towards general artificial intelligence as a whole in, in the wider sense and also in the finance space. That's really that's really exciting, yes. And I think, is that something that we should be looking out for? I mean, what's the forecast? I mean, is this around the corner or are we looking three, five, ten years? No, I think it's, it's again, it's, it's, an, it's an evolving, it's an evolving research progress. So, I mean, you always have attempts now and you could go and try and implement it. It's just their efficacy in terms of, you know, their decision quality will not be so strong so it's about just over time investing in the R&D in this space and gradually increasing that performance sometimes you get a breakthrough um, which leads into kind of a kind of a step function in terms of improving performance but uh, a lot of it's just a natural evolution um, and we'll get better and better at it we're just not very good at it right now Mm, great I I have a final question for you Yasin and that actually we're working in a sustainability tech company and and if you could prioritize and let's say fix one sustainability related matter risk or or opportunity what would that be i would look at the social so if you've got esg i look at the s the social aspect and how to create basically build in into society and the way that everyone operates from corporates to everyone else incentive structures to fix the sustainability issues uh, head on. So you could go and fix climate, for example, I could say climate, which would be like the default option. But what's more important is to basically make sure that companies are incentivized to fix the climate. And I think you do that best through the social. Governance is a bit too rigid, it's too top down. 
um, but through social uh, aspects and social responsibility and stuff like that, create an incentive structure which basically everyone um, participates and fits in this. Great. That's what I'd focus on. Great. Thank you so much, Yasin, for your, for for joining me today. Thank you. It's great. And uh, thank you all for uh, joining this uh, episode of the Decoding Sustainable Finance podcast where we digged into the world of new technology and uh, try to understand better how it will impact the world of finance but also our societies and uh, you're always welcome to get in touch with us and visit our website at arabesque.com for more information and please stay tuned for the next episode as I will be joined uh, by a, a new colleague to further decode sustainable finance. Thank you.